You know that the miracle through which every other miracle flows is Christmas. Christmas starts something. Christmas is the miracle that begins every other miracle. And you know, in the Old Testament, you know when miracles are happening in the Old Testament, you know what's happening? It's as if God is breaking open the heavens and he's peeking his head and he's looking around and he's bringing about life into the midst of decay. And I know what you're wrestling with. You're wrestling with miracles and doubt and faith and science. And let me just say this. Miracles are not a violation of science. Science does not have the tools to measure something like God. There's no instrument big enough, there's no instrument grand enough to measure the glory, the beauty, and the worth of God. And when God reaches his hand in and he heals the eyes of a blind man, there's no instrument that will measure that. And a woman that was sick from her, the day of her birth that is healed by God, there is nothing that we have to measure that. And Christmas is the miracle that all other miracles are pointing towards. Before and after. But there's a more important question that we need to be asking than faith and doubt and miracles and if science can just add up to all this. There's a more important question. The question is this. Why has he come? Why hasn't God just left us on our own and just figure it out? Why has he come? You know, and, and did he really come? Here's how I want you to think of us. I mean, we are like this child that's in a burning house. And the flames have not yet reached the room where this child is. And the child thinks everything's great. In fact, it's a little bit warmer than it usually is, and the child feels pretty good. This little baby feels good. And all of a sudden, this door bursts open, and there is a man with a mask on, this fireman who's come to save this child, this baby. And the baby wants nothing to do with this man who has come to save him. Because the child thinks that there is nothing wrong. The child has no idea that this is a burning building. And in a lot of ways, that is humanity. We don't really know the situation that we're in. We don't really know how bad it is. And Christmas is the screams of heaven telling us that there is something wrong. That life is not the way that it is meant to be. Something is drastically wrong. And here's the great problem. It's death. And our medical science is desperately trying to figure out what to do with death. And death laughs as we try to figure out what to do with it. Like, like a kid, we're like this kid with medical science trying to figure out what's going on. So we're hiding from death and it's like we're hiding around the corner and death sees us. Just laughing, knowing that maybe we're slowing something down, but still there's a greater problem. And philosophers are sitting in the room trying to figure out what to do about death, how we deal with death. Do we deal with death? Is there death? Is there nothingness? What is there and how do we get through life? And at the same time, death is outside of those doors laughing at our attempts. But Christianity says that Christmas is God's war against death and its root cause, which is sin. 
Christmas is when life breaks into decay. And Christmas is God's stand against death. And that's what our verses are about. You might not see it at first. Let me read them to you. So we're in Luke 1, verse 26 through 35. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How could this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, there's a recent discovery for me in these verses that I had not seen until about a month ago. And these verses are actually pointing us all the way back to the beginning of the creation story. So at the creation story, here's what's happening. There's a darkness, there's a void, there's a nothingness, an emptiness. There's nothing there. And then it says something starts happening. The Spirit of God starts hovering over the face of the waters. Now, you got to picture it like this. The Spirit is hovering. You picture this like a bird, almost, you know, maybe a dove, but maybe even like a hummingbird you could think of, flapping its wings so quickly that it's remaining still, but yet something's happening. It's creating this energy. And then, as that's happening, God speaks, and life bursts into the world. Life bursts into existence, into the darkness, into the void, into the nothingness. Now, what's that have to do with Christmas? Everything. Because here's why. Look at what, look what's happening with Mary. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is hovering over Mary just like this bird is hovering over Mary. And the power of the, over, the, the shadow of the Most High is overshadowing her. And then life bursts into her womb. Into the void into where there's no life, she, he bring, the Spirit brings life. This is a new creation. Something new is happening. But it is not just a new creation. It's something entirely different. Because it's not only that life is coming into the world, but it's the very one who created life coming into the world. The author of life has written himself into the story. It says in the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So at creation, God spoke. There was nothing. God spoke. Life bursts forth. Here's what's going on here. The author of life, the one who brings life, he's not just bringing life into the world again. He's stepping into his creation. The one who is life is come in. And he's doing something new that has never been done before. 
so that we, who are like the walking dead, in this burning room that we have no idea is about to burn down so that he could save us. Life bursting forth. And here's what else is fascinating. He gets into the smallest. He gets into a cell. Like he gets into as small as he could possibly be. So you think of an, emb- an embryo starts off as a zygote. It's a single cell for Mary. And then a single cell that comes down from heaven is woven in. And something new starts happening. It's almost like you could think of like a virus, but a good virus that gets put in. It's about to change everything. And the significance of this is that God gets into the smallest of things to redeem everything. And that's what Christmas is about. A complete turnaround. He must inhabit the world fully. So to do it, he gets into what is the smallest. To redeem everything. This is the biblical concept from the beginning, by the way. The coming down in order to lift up. The humbling of the glorious in order to make that which is humble glorious. The becoming human, God becoming human in order to make humanity divine, you might say. This is the teaching of the early church father, Athanasius. This is, this is the concept. Here's the concept. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. You think of it like, okay, that means we are in him. He is in us. We are connected with him. We are in union with him. And that means, in a way, the divine is flowing through us, flowing through our veins, you could say. Now, it's not that we're gods. It's that we are united to the one who is God. So, therefore, we can have life as it's always meant to be experienced, connected right in to the divine woven in. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's weaving himself into the decay, into a world that is tumbling towards death in order to save it from where it is headed, to kill the virus. He weaves himself into the virus in order to take down the virus. And the cry of humanity in Isaiah 64.1 It says, oh, that you would rend open the heavens. That means to open up the heavens. Oh, that you would rend open the heavens and come down. This is no longer God peeking his face in. This is no longer God. This idea that Christ would come and that he would just, God, if he's going to enter in, he would just enter in like as a full-grown man coming in. No, he gets into the smallest of everything in order to redeem everything. And do you understand this? That that Christianity is, uh, is about the spiritual, but it's also about the material at the same time. It's concerned with our physical world. The promise of Christianity is that there's going to come a day when everything is redeemed. And what that means is the smallest of things must be redeemed, and here's what it also means. He has to get woven into everything in order to weave heaven and earth together. This is known as the consummation. Theologians call it the consummation, the weaving of heaven and earth together. Have you heard of this? This is what we want. This is what we long for. And this is going to come the day when the spiritual and the material are completely woven together, and on that day, there will not be a tear left. 
they'll all be wiped away and every bit of pain will be buried in the death of death. It's the great reversal. The hope of humanity, the spark of something new, of real life, of life as it is meant to be, and it starts in the smallest of cells. He goes down into the smallest he could go in order to lift everything up. And you get this picture of a strong man coming underneath a boulder to lift the boulder up. He's coming into the world to lift the world up, back up to the heavens, back woven into heaven as it's always meant to be. And here's the thing. He humbles himself so much that he disappears in it all. We had no idea who he really was. He disappears so much that he lays his glory aside and we can't even recognize who he really is. And he does it to redeem it all. This is what Philippians 2, 6-11 through 11 says. Look, it says, Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every tongue, every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All right. By laying his glory aside, the world sees a whole new glory. There is a type of glory that is so sure of itself that it could lay all of its glory aside in order to get into the smallest of things and then show his glory again and change everything. This is the humbling of God, putting himself into a world that is in decay. Now, he became nothing, you might say, a low-born king, a baby, a child who could not even care for... Think about this. A child, God, a child who could not even care for himself, coming into the world, putting himself at the mercy of his own creation, needing a mother to care for him, to change his dirty diaper, to feed him. He needed humanity in order to accomplish his mission. It's not that he really needed us, but he did need us in the way that he subjected himself to humility so that he might rely on humanity to accomplish the mission which he came to do. And the mission was to save humanity, but he needed humanity to care for him first until he was actually able to do it. This is amazing. If this is not blowing your mind, then you're not listening. And it's what else, let me just go even further. What's so crazy is that he's doing this with a sinful and rebellious humanity, a humanity that's been fighting with God. The, the, the name that God gives his people is Israel, which means wrestling with God, fighting with God. All of history, humanity's been fighting with God, and yet the father says, here's my son, care for him so he can save you. Puts his son in the hands of a humanity that will one day kill him. Yet he does it to save us. That was the plan. The willingness of God to suffer at the hands of those he came to save. 
lets us hold his son, knowing that what we will do to him. So you got to imagine the Spirit of God hovering over the waters at creation, knowing that the very next time the Spirit is going to be hovering over the same way at creation, is going to be hovering over the belly of a woman who will give birth to the Savior of the world, knowing that the next time he's going to do this, he's going to do this for Son of God to come into the world to be killed by the humanity he has come to save. And the Spirit knows exactly what's happening, doing it anyways, so that we might be saved. Knowing that he would even go so far as to enter into death and then stab death to kill it. And then you got to imagine Jesus at the foundation of the world, the one who's the word spoken in life into existence, bringing light into the world, knowing that there's going to come a day when there will be a darkness again, when he is swallowed up by the darkness of death, and inside of the darkness of death, he will bring life again, and light will pierce through the darkness, and the darkness will not understand it, and he will overcome the darkness, and death will be done. And then you imagine the father, the one running the show, knowing what would happen to him at creation, knowing what would happen before the foundation of the world, knowing that this would happen to his son, yet doing it anyways. Why? For love. In fact, humanity is able to draw out the glory of God in a way that had not happened before. You say, wait, what? Well, think about this. Love. The most glorious thing. There's no greater love, there's no greater love than someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, you are my friends. And so God creates the world knowing what's going to happen in order to reveal a glory to the world that he would not have been able to had he not given himself over to an evil humanity that would strike him down so he could show us how much he loves us, and by doing that, it makes him all the more glorious. The greatest story ever told begins with the Spirit hovering over the darkness, the void, the deep, And chapters later, the Spirit hovering over the womb of Mary, bursting life in. And then a chapter later, the Son of God swallowed up by death. The Father raises him from the dead so that we might follow him through death. Christmas is not only a reminder that God has done that. It's also a challenge to you to believe this all over again. Now, I know what happens. I know if you were really thinking and you were really feeling on your way in here, you had doubts about all of it. Maybe you believed at one point and you're doubting pretty heavily right now. The challenge for Christmas is to open your eyes to the hope that God is doing something about death and about the world that we are in. 
And the challenge is that if you've never believed this, that you would begin to hope. That you would say something like this, you know what, I wish that was true, that'd be pretty cool if it was. And then that moves to, I really do hope that this is true. To, I think this might be true. To, I don't know what's happened, but I believe now. And it's just changed everything for me. And the challenge is not only to believe, but to believe so much so that now you begin to live like the one who has come for you. You see that he has humbled himself, and you say, oh my goodness, if my Savior does this, then I too will humble myself. And so what you begin to do is you see the people around you who are in need in your life, and you begin to have the energy in you. You begin to have the life in you that's needed for you to bring yourself low, maybe into their sadness, and you get all up in their sadness, but it doesn't destroy you, and you're able to lift them up out of it because now you have this new life. You enter into the decay of someone's life, and you start loving them, and you start telling them that there's hope. And you go to someone who is convinced that their very story ends in a tragedy of death. And you speak words of hope that this is not all that there is. God has come. And he's opened up the heavens. Like a strong man rips open a sheet of plastic. And he's come to get underneath you. To lift you up even when things get to their worst in death. And he lifts you up out of it. And the story's not over. It's not over. He's the king of heaven now. And he's ascended to the throne. But there's still things going on. There's still work to be done. The spirit is still within you. The spirit is in you. If you believe this is true, the spirit of God is in you doing more and more new life. And then here's what happens. The story continues on in you as you begin to serve those around you in love like he has loved you. Look, God has made his stand against death in one. And you make your stand when you have faith in him. (laughs) I'm about to say something good. I don't know whose phone that is, but it was a good timing. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. There's going to come a day when you are dancing on your empty grave. Because he rose from it. And you follow him right through there. In fact, it's such a sure thing that you could dance now. Don't start dancing. I mean, you could. But you know what I mean. You know when there's something going on inside of you where there's such a hope and there's such an excitement that it's like you're dancing inside. Let that be what you grasp hold of for Christmas. So much so that maybe you do dance on Christmas Day or maybe you do party a little bit more on Christmas Day because you got something to celebrate. That's what Christmas is. 
All right, let me pray for us. God, I pray that the same way that you have rend open the heavens and come down, I pray that you would rend open our hearts and our souls and our minds and that you would come in.